Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Because this is a special day, a day that we think about love and we think about marriage, it may seem strange to you that we've gone all the way back to the very beginning to the book of Genesis. Uh, I've been reading some this past week because of Super Bowl and Super Performances that it is important no matter how good you get, Jimmy, you always go back to the basics. And you never forget the basics, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, baseball, or even marriage. You go back to the basics. Understand, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. It is the beginning of the human race. It is the beginning of marriage. It's the beginning of sin. It's the beginning of salvation. It's the book of beginnings. God created marriage. And truth be known, if you would be honest, every single one of us wants a God-ordained marriage. We want a happy marriage. We want peace and we want love in our homes. We want a marriage made in heaven. And if you will agree with that, then you will agree with me that it's good to look at how God ordained marriage to be, how He intended marriage to be, a marriage made in heaven. Now, if we are going to look at that marriage, though, and that God created marriage, and look at marriage in the Garden of Eden, there needs to be some disclaimers in the very beginning. In other words, there are some of these things that we are not going to have in our marriage. For, for one thing, with Adam and Eve, they were perfectly made for each other. Now, I know that Delane turns to Shelley continually and says, You are made for me, baby. But none of us can really say that we were perfectly made for each other. In fact, the truth is, we, if you look at your personality type, and you look at your spouse, the husband or wife's personality type, you're probably just the opposite. That's the normal. And the crazy thing is that that old thing about opposites attract is very true when you're dating. 
But then after you get married, those very things that attracted you to her or to him are the very things that drive you nuts. Can I get a witness? Are you brave enough to say amen with your spouse sitting right there beside you? Those differences that were so attractive in the beginning are the things that drive you nuts. Not only were they perfectly made for each other, both were sinless. That means they never made a mistake. Now, I realize as well that some of you think that you never make a mistake, right? Um, and some of you are married to someone who never makes a mistake. And I pray for you. I've, usually when I'm doing marriage counseling, I have the couple sitting there just to make sure they know how to say this. I tell them, the most important words in marriage are not, I love you. The most important words in marriage are, I was wrong, I'm sorry. And I usually have them repeat that just to make sure that they know how to say that. It's shocking to me how many husbands and how many wives don't know how to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. In the garden, they were never wrong, and they were never sorry. By the way, the dumbest movie line that's ever been written was from that old movie, Love Story. By the way, we went to see Love Story when we were dating, and we looked sweetly at each other at that theme and repeated it to each other, and I soon discovered that's the dumbest thing I that was ever... You don't know the movie, so you don't know what it was said. Anybody tell me what the theme of that movie was? Love means never having to say you're sorry. I'm sorry, that's the dumbest line ever written. You better be able to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. The other thing is they lived in a perfect environment. There was no sickness. There were... There weren't even any weeds in the garden. You understand that? They lived in a perfect environment. We live in a pressure cooker. Amen? We live in a stressed environment. And the stress of our surroundings pours stress on our marriages. Not only that, in that, that marriage made from heaven, God was the undisputable head of the home. He was in charge. He needs to be the head of my home. He needs to be the head of your home. But that's often not the case. Okay, so with that in mind, from the verses that we've read, what are some characteristics that we can have and we must have in our marriages? First of all, we need independence from parents. Independence from parents. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. It is important that the husband and the wife, regardless of their age, regardless of how long they've been married, that they establish their own home. Now, I'm not talking about building a house. That's optional. But, but founding and building a home is not optional. It is absolutely essential. 
you must leave your father and mother and establish your own home or your marriage is going to be in trouble. I'll admit that my original thoughts from this passage came from Chuck Swindoll near about a hundred years ago. I heard him preach on this passage and he was talking about the leaving and the cleaving. And he reminded me of a song. You know, it used to be in elementary school, we had elementary music and the music teacher came in or we went to her classroom and they taught us songs. Sandy, one of those songs that, you, you remember, Where Have You Been, Billy Boy? Oh, where have you been, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? Oh, where have you been, Charming Billy? I have been to see my wife. She's the darling of my life. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. You're looking at me like you've, I've lost my mind. Do any of you remember that song? Oh, thank you. Ah, I was worried. Second verse. There's a bunch of verses. One of them is, Can she bake a cherry pie, Billy boy, Billy boy? Can she bake a cherry pie, Charming Billy? She can bake a cherry pie quick as a cat can link, wink his eye. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. Okay, so every verse ends with, She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. The final verse, and I, uh, this is complicated, I had to write it down. How old is she, Billy boy, Billy boy? How old is she, charming Billy? Three times four and four times seven, 28 plus 11. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. She's 79 years old. Do the math. She's 79 years old, but she's a young thing, and she cannot leave her mother. That, now, we laugh at that, but many marriages are destroyed because of the over-involvement of the, of the parents. Let your children go. Let them build their marriage. Give the, them freedom to make their own mistakes. Husbands, you must respect your parents, absolutely, but you do not obey your parents. You must establish a home with your wife with independence. You honor your parents, but you let them go, and you'll never have a marriage made in heaven until you have independence. From parents then you must also have bonding as husband and wife it can the verse continues therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united together that word in NIV is joined they are joined to each other in King James, it's the old Charles, excuse me, Charles Swindoll said, leaving and cleaving, you must cleave unto your wife. The ESV says, fasten onto. The whole idea is to be melded together, to be united together, to become one flesh, to become one entity leaving all others. We say in our marriage vows, 
By the way, marriage vows can sometimes get interesting. And people have started, used to be, Anita, there used to be a standard set of vows, right? Everybody said basically the same thing. People have started writing their own vows. I think part of it is rebellion against what the old vow said. Uh, to The promise to love, honor, and obey. And of course, you, people never get it right. People are always nervous. Uh, I heard about the wedding where the pastor was having them recite the vows and, and the young lady was quite the feminist, you know, strong feminist. And, and he got to the point, uh, the, the groom was nervous. The, the bride was adamant. Uh, he, preacher got to the point where he said, love, honor, and obey. She looked at him and said, do you think I'm crazy? The groom was so nervous, he thought it was his time to speak, and he said, I do. <laughs> and it got exciting from there. Love, honor, and obey. In our vows, Ellen we always said, leaving all others and cleave only unto her. That bonding, that allegiance, that loyalty in marriage is crucial if you're going to have a marriage made in heaven. Now, I remember our first year of marriage. It was World War III. We were too young to get married. Somehow we made it. You know we just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary, and I thank God for that. I thank God for my wife. Obviously, she is a very patient woman. There can be no doubt. But two independent firstborns married to each other, I tell you, it was a year of adjustment. And I said to my class this morning that marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. If it is, if your marriage is a 50-50 proposition, you're in trouble. In order for uniting and for bonding, for unification to take place, it has to be 100-100. You need to be 100% invested in your marriage. You must cleave to each other. You must be bonded to each other. Then there must be acceptance. I realized after I put the outline in the worship guide, this really should have been the fir very first point. Acceptance of each other. Because Adam, now before we get to this verse that I'm going to read to you, I need for you to realize that God has said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created a helpmate for him. He created woman. He took from his side a rib and when he woke up, there she was. But remember, Chloe, before then, did you notice that it said that he had looked through all the animals and found not a helpmeet, someone like him? Basically, that means he looked at the monkeys, right? He looked at the gorillas. He looked at all the animals. 
And I want you evolutionists out there to understand, he looked at the monkey and said, no way. He rejected all of creation. God made a point, and then he made a woman. And when he woke up, there was woman. And he said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Do you really think he said it that way? No way. He woke up and there was woman. Yes, Wendy mouthed it. He said, whoa, man. I think he was excited. I think he said, whoa. Now this is what it's supposed to be about. This is someone like me. This is the mate that God has for me. I think he looked at his wife as a gift from the hand of God. And I believe that that's how we're supposed to look at each other. I, I like the Brooks and Dunn song, If I Could Sing. You already know I can't sing. I proved that earlier. But if I could, I, I would sing to my wife that Brooks and Dunn song that says, There ain't nothing about you that don't do something for me. I like that. Amen. And by the way, wives, I need you to understand that men are visual. It will help you in your marriage. You may not like that, but men are visual. I got in trouble again in Sunday school this morning for saying that even a barn looks better painted. Let that sink in. Men are visual. Acceptance. Marriages break up often because one or both went into the marriage saying, well, I don't like that about him or I don't like that about her, but I'll change them. No, you won't. God may, but you never will. And if you cannot accept that individual as they are, don't marry them. Husbands, if you can't love her, don't marry her. Because you are commanded to love your wife. Hus uh, wives, w women, don't marry a man you can't respect. Because you are commanded to respect them. We have to accept each other. And a marriage made in heaven requires acceptance. At last, this is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. By the way, that was very literal for Adam, wasn't it? Because she was created from him. And then, another characteristic we must have, if we're going to have a marriage made in heaven, there has to be intimacy within the marriage. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. That is, there, were no, there was no hidden secrets. Somebody said, no secrets, they didn't have pockets. There were no masks. Nothing hidden. They were totally open and honest with each other. Now, there's another fallacy that's out there that says in marriage, it, it goes right along with never having to say you're sorry. It's that 
you should be able to say anything at all to your husband or wife. I'm sorry, but that's idiocy. There are some things that you're not allowed to say. Sheila, there's some things you can't say to Jerry because you're commanded to respect him, right? You can never say anything disrespectful. I've been trying to teach my staff for a year now that even the most difficult things can be said in a nice way. You always respect everyone all the time. And wives, you're not allowed to say anything disrespectful to your husband. Husbands, you're commanded to love your wives. And you cannot, you may not, you're not allowed to say anything unloving to your wife. Now, my wife and I learned some words for our children uh, you, you know, you don't want to tell, tell your children in front of somebody, I'm going to kill you when I get you home. <laughs> you may feel that emotion. We learn to say it in another language. And the Luya language, which is it's not even Swahili, it's one of the tribal languages. No, it's Luo. This is in, this is in Luo. Abiro Tuarde. Doesn't that sound sweet, Alice? Abiro Tuarde which means I'm going to beat you. <laughs> You're not allowed to say anything unloving to your wife. There has to be intimacy in marriage. Listen, when we talk about intimacy, we usually think about physical intimacy. And that is an important part of marriage. Don't discount that. But that's not the only intimacy that's important. I think one of the most overlooked intimacies that is important is intellectual intimacy. Can you and your wife, can you and your husband talk about principles, about ideals, even, shudder to think, politics, and respect each other's opinions? If you cannot, then there is no intellectual intimacy in your marriage. There must also be emotional intimacy. Now, generally speaking, though I've seen some exceptions in my marriage counseling that I've done, generally speaking, women are very good at expressing their emotions and expressing and expressing and expressing. Men, on the other hand, Express emotion this way. We are not good at expressing our emotions. Delane, we need to practice that, right? We, we need to learn the words to say, when this happens, I feel threatened, angry, frightened. I worry about my job. I worry about approval. I worry about our marriage. I worry about, I am anxious. Listen, we must learn to express our emotions to build emotional intimacy within marriage. Physical intimacy is not enough. There needs to be intellectual intimacy, emotional intimacy. And this is the least practiced there needs to be spiritual intimacy in our marriages. That we talk about our relationship with God. 
that we're open about where we're struggling? Do you share your walk with God, with your husband, or with your wife? Build intimacy in marriage. And then there must be permanence of the union. Permanence of the union. Jesus quoted the verses that I've, I've read to you, or that has been read to you in, in Genesis. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And Jesus added, What God has joined together, let no one separate. Who married you? Hollis Ledbetter performed the ceremony for us. I don't think there's anybody here but the two of us who know who Hollis Ledbetter was. But Hollis Ledbetter was one of my favorite pastors, and he married us. No, I'm sorry. He performed the ceremony. Who married you? God did. When you left your parents and you made a vow to your wife, I don't care where it happened, if it was in a courthouse in a garden, in a church, the modern thing is in a barn. I'm not sure I understand that. But the place does not matter. The vows are not as important as you understanding that when you made that covenant together, God sealed the deal. And God performed the wedding and you are not allowed to break those vows. He intended for them to be permanent. What God has joined together, let no one separate. You know what's wrong with marriage in our day? The I, Going into marriage with the idea, well, we'll give this a try. And if it doesn't work, we'll just get a divorce. If you did that, you just guaranteed divorce. Because every marriage will have problems. And just because you've been married 50 years doesn't mean that the struggle is over. We are sinners under the grace of God and we do dumb things. We just sin. And marriage requires work no matter how many years you've been married. Never let it come out of your mouth, well, we'll just get a divorce. Don't you ever threaten your spouse by saying, I want a divorce, or I'm thinking about a divorce. Just take divorce out of your vocabulary and say, I'm sorry, but we're in this permanently. We just have to work through this. We'll have to work it out. Marriage requires work. And I would challenge you, every one of you, who are married, who are going to get married, strive for permanence. Don't have a bailout clause. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Permanence. Your marriage must have independence from parents. Bonding of you and your spouse. Acceptance of each other. Intimacy in the marriage. 
and a marriage that is permanent. That is a marriage made in heaven. Listen, God wants you to have a good marriage. He wants you to have a marriage made in heaven. I want you to understand this. There's no such thing. You say, my marriage is not a marriage made in heaven, but it's pretty good. You may say it's as good as it's ever going to get. Do you realize that you're, you've given up hope on, in your marriage getting better? You ever thought about that? I've, I've seen people who've been married a lot of years and say, well, our marriage is pretty good. It's about as good as it's ever going to get. That's hopeless. There is no such thing. Write it down. There is no such thing as a marriage that cannot be improved. But you have to be willing. Husbands, you have to be willing to see your marriage and work at your marriage improving. Wives, you have to be willing and like the husbands, committed to improving your marriage. You can have a better marriage than you have today. It takes a commitment. Marriage is a commitment. Love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. And marriage requires a commitment. A commitment to each other and a commitment to God. Every time Brenda and I attend a wedding ceremony, we reach for each other's hands, we hold hands, and we look eye to eye, and in our hearts, whether we say it out loud or not, we repeat our commitment to each other. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time that you held hands, said to each other, this is forever. I have said to her, and I mean it again, come grow old with me. The best is yet to be. How do I know that? Because that's my commitment. Come what may, that is my commitment commitment to God and a commitment to her. What is your commitment? What are you willing to commit to God in this service and to commit to God today? Listen, if you've never been saved, commit your soul into the hands of God. What does it mean to be saved? That you admit, I can't do this on my own. You give your heart and your soul to Jesus. Have you done that? Make that commitment to Jesus today. After you've been saved, you need to commit to Him, to follow Him in baptism. And if that's the commitment you need to make, make that commitment today. Maybe it is to serve Him as a member of His church. And I call on you, make that commitment 
today. I want us to stand together. I know there are some who need to make those commitments. And I'm asking you if you will do that now. Will you come to Christ for salvation? Will you commit to baptism? Will you come for membership in this church? Do that now.